Hello, frazzled folks. Thank you for finding your way to Le Vital Corps Salon. This is the virtual lounge for frazzled type A's, imposters, activity addicts, and today you are going to hear an in-depth conversation between two recovering perfectionists and also refugees from the world of finance. Go figure. I, I didn't know there were so many of us, but two of us have found each other. By the way, I am Kara Martin-Snyder, your host and your salonaire for these conversations. And I want to remind you that sometimes adult women having adult conversation that's really real, there are some cuss words. So if you have tender ears around, please know that in advance and grab some headphones and stick with us. For those of you who are new to this podcast, my job is to introduce you to a modern woman who is leaving their impact, or as I like to say sometimes, their stain on the world. More importantly, they are not letting bullshit or burnout slow them down. And today's guest is no exception to that definition. I am so excited for you all to meet and hear about what Sarah Jacob made for the world and how she's doing it and how she's out there walking the walk, not letting bullshit or burnout slow her down. In fact, she seems to catalyze it into some sort of magic or as I sort of described at one point, accelerated serendipity. She seems to broker in it, which is probably not surprising considering she, like me, is a refugee from the world of finance. So she knows numbers and brokerage and making math work as well. I'm really excited for all of you to meet and learn from Sarah Jacob today. And Sarah is someone very new to my mix. In fact, this was our second conversation. And the first one was a incredibly short one where I introduced myself, gave her my card and said, I would love to interview you on my podcast after she got done screening her film at a local networking event and then having a little bit of a talk about how the film came to be and how it was made and how it was made through lots of members in that actual networking event and from the moment she took the stage and started talking I just felt this huge intuitive hit that like this woman's like creative and she's connecting people and she's seems so comfortable in her skin and it really shined when you saw her with the microphone on stage that night and and you know also that she was quite humble like I'm not a filmmaker but I made a documentary film and those kinds of contradictory things are always so fascinating for me and and usually trips my trigger as someone that I really want to talk to and hear about their journey and and be curious and learn from. So again, I'm really excited for you to hear this because I had such an intuitive hit when I heard her story and heard her telling it. And then what's funny is in this episode, Sarah ends up talking about intuition and her journey for like really dialing in and hearing hers in a new and more powerful way. Also, because she's such a left-brain woman like myself, she's able to sort of break down like some of the things that worked for her and what practices have helped her and 
how she went on this journey that I won't bother trying to summarize it. I really just want to encourage you to listen because it's such a cool one where, you know, basically life and finance, time as a tango gypsy, traveling around the world, coming back, putting down roots, rebooting her career, and making a documentary film at the end of this about Kaya, who hopefully will get a picture for the podcast post. Kaya is Sarah's dog, and it's her journey into paralysis or partial paralysis. And I got to see Kaya, and she is just lovely with like these sparkly eyes and shiny coat of hair, and it's really inspiring when you see it all together. Anyways, I feel like I could keep babbling about Sarah's journey and waxing on about how excited I am for you to hear it, or I could just share it with you. So we're going to take you over to the, the interview. And one apology before this, this interview. And I know, like, there's the whole, like, sorry, not sorry, and as women, stop apologizing for things. But I do want to say... My voice the day we recorded this was a bit raspier than normal, and I was kind of struggling with sounding as normal as possible. And I wanted to fully disclose that I have not started cigarette smoking. Um, I am not turning into Patty or Selma, Homer Simpson's sister-in-laws. I actually went to a country show in New York a couple, a night or two before. I know, as a avowed rock and roll person for years, if you had asked me 10 years ago, would I be going to a country show? I probably would have thought you were insane. But life is funny that way, and being open to new things and new music and all sorts of stuff is, is part of my MO. Um, but anyways, I got to see my country crush, Dale Watson, perform at a smaller venue in New York. And there is something that happens, apparently, when you put a bunch of Texans who live in the city into one room. They whoop and they holler. And I felt like, I have to get in on this because I like to whoop and holler and make a bunch of noise. And I did, but I didn't realize that I was going to shred my vocal cords. So I apologize if in places this interview sounds a little rough. Stick with us. And buckle up, because Sarah's journey is a really awesome and beautiful one, and it's no dink that her film is called It Could Be Beautiful, and that that's what she just embodies and is able to articulate for us. So, without any further ado, voila, meet Sarah. Hey Sarah, welcome to La Vital Core Salon. Hi, thank you so much. Thanks for being here. I saw Sarah do a talk at a local networking event here in the mid-Hudson Valley, here around Kingston. And it was my first time at this networking event, and I was super excited to hear your story and how you were sort of not a tech person at this tech meetup, yet had had this amazing experience, and you were not a filmmaker you're in fact working in finance, but you made a film. And so your story, like, I just, I wanted to come over and I'm going to be honest, and this is probably going to sound weird, just totally hug you at that point. <laughs> like, you're awesome. I love this. You don't fit in any boxes. 
Yeah. Um, Yeah. A little outsider syndrome, you know, (laughs) that I try to work to my advantage. Yeah. (laughs) So that said, I feel like there's a million different directions that we can go, but I thought maybe let's start with the documentary that you just created called It Could Be Beautiful. How did that come to be? So I had gotten the opportunity to give a TEDx talk in 2013. And the talk was titled Tango and the Art of Connection. And it was a really big deal for me at the time. And when I finished the talk, so many people came up to me and said how much they loved it and how much it touched them. And on the train home, I just felt so fully expressed and it felt so good to be seen and to share a story that touched people. I got this idea to tell the story about Kaya. I closed my eyes and I visualized the film and tears started to stream down my face. And that's how I knew it was a good idea. And it became the idea that wouldn't let me sleep. I became a little bit obsessed with the mission to make the documentary. This is amazing. And you're talking about how when you have an idea that that kind of overcomes you like that, and it it's bottlenecking your sleep and messing with your sleep. I can 100% relate to what you're talking about around the 33K project that I'm working on. Mm. Mm-hmm. where it was just like, it just kept coming to me between 4 and 7 a.m. And I would get up wow. and journal and kind of empty out any of the ideas so I could go back and get a couple more hours of sleep. Yeah. Yeah. You got to listen when there's something like that that's just dogging you. Literally dogging you. And like, yeah. and let's back up. Let's explain to the listeners who Kaya is. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So Kaya is this wonderful creature who came into my life. She is a little rescue dog who I adopted at the close of a significant relationship in my late 20s that I was hoping was going to turn into, you know, we were going to get married. And so when I, I kind of came to the realization with this big load of clarity one day that that wasn't going to happen, I thought, you know, I really want love and I want an experience of an easy relationship after that relationship was really complicated. And so I thought, you know, I really want a dog. So I went on Pet Finder on a whim and I, you know, really wasn't taking the idea seriously because I, you know, I worked extremely long hours in Boston at the time and had a small apartment, but I was just like, oh, let's just see what's out there. And I did a search on like a a small, young, female lab mix. And Kaya's picture came up in the search results. And it was like, it hit me like a ton of bricks. When I saw her picture, I was like, that's my dog. And I just knew that I had to do whatever it took to be able to adopt her, move my lifestyle around. And I was even willing to move to a different apartment if my landlord wouldn't let me get her. Um, but as it turned out, all the stars aligned and, and, uh, I was able to adopt her and she came home to me about a month later. And so the, it was really this, you know, 
upgrade from a bad boyfriend to a great dog <laughs> that changed everything for me. She was a complete game changer and did bring so much love and joy into my life and allowed me to experience a different side of myself that was much more maternal than I had ever known was really in me. Um, you know, I was 29 when I got her and I had been really, you know, a corporate climber and working super hard in my career to achieve all this success. I was pretty self-absorbed, you know, and I, you know, when Kaya came into my life, it was suddenly like, wait a minute, you know, she has needs. And so actually putting myself aside and being there for her was a big shift in my whole orientation that ended up being, you know, not only good for me, but just joyful. It was joy. I felt joyful to give, you know, and little did I know the journey that I would go on with her, but you know, she has been a profound influence in my life. She's way more than a dog. She's like a soulmate, you know, and people even have said we look alike and I'm like, Oh, that's such a compliment. You know, <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> you do both have long, dark, shiny hair. <laughs> right. Yes. And sparkly brown eyes, you know, and <laughs> it's a funny, like there's, there's some, there's some essence there. Yes. And it sounds like it was such a visceral thing for you where it was like, you saw her picture and you're like, yup, ready. Yeah. Let's do this. No questions asked. And that's, you know, I always say, you know, the biggest decisions make themselves because, you know, we, we analytical overachieving women like to put up pros and cons and we like to whiteboard things out and go, you know, are we making the right decision and we want to really know, but every huge decision that I've made in my life has been completely gut driven where it's just like, I get this big dose of clarity and I'm like, there's no way I can not do this. And and never has has one of those decisions been a mistake. So, absolutely. Yes. Have you always been so intuitive? No, not at all. In fact, developing my intuition was something that I did very much on purpose. I was always extremely left-brained, very good at math, very good at logic. I would get good grades. I was a good test taker. Even once I got into the corporate world, it, it, it took me a little bit to find my footing um, to figure out, like, how do you perform here? There's no grades. How do I know? You know, how do I do a good job? You know, but I figured out the system and then I did well. And so I was always very good at figuring out what's expected of me and how do I achieve. And so I was good at being in the box and categorizing and and so Kaya and that decision to get her was really the first, actually, to be honest, you know, rewinding like the step before Kaya was, which was understanding that this guy that I was with was never going to propose to me. That was the first moment of that I really can ever remember that I had an intuitive hit that was like, bowled me over and said, you know, this is true. And I listened to it and I ended the relationship. The next moment of big clarity was getting Kaya. And then that sparked a very magical time where I, then I also started dancing tango 
And tango was something that started to tap into my softer side, a more creative and playful side. And there's something also about tango where like, I had to shut down my busy brain in order to tap into the connection to the music and the connection to my partner. And so, you know, my intuitive side started to get fed through that, that process of dancing tango. And then um, about probably a year later or so, I actually started working with a life coach. And the, the first thing I said to her was, I want to develop my intuition so that I can get my own answers because I love life coaching. That's great. But I don't want to always have to look to someone outside of myself to know what to do or to look at my horoscope or to, you know, whatever, just always be searching for other things to tell me what to do and where to go. I want to be able to source my own answers. So she was the one who really helped me develop my intuition. And um, that was like probably some of the most important work I've ever done because that serves me now every single day. Yes. And I'm a coach who deeply believes in self-reliance. I can be part of women's journey at a particular mm -hmm. moment in time to learn some skills and help them sort of speed that up. But I deeply agree with your approach where it's like, it doesn't have to be forever. Like, right. what are the tools that you need to get you where you're going? And if mm -hmm. I can empty my pockets and give them to you, great. Yeah. Like, go yeah. for it. Like, it doesn't have for to be sure. a forever thing. We need helpers along the way. That's what we're here to do is to offer insights and, you know, be mentors and helpers for each other. Um, but, you know, ultimately the long arc, the long journey of life is traveled alone. And so you've got to build up your own traveler's pouch with your tools and, you, you know, and I've collected many of them along the way and, you know, which included working with a life coach for several months, that was, you know, really, really good work that I did. And then I got to a point where I said, I think I got it from here, you know? So, you know, I'm very grateful for those people who have made that their, their life's work. Amazing. And so you're on this tango journey at this point. I think you use the term tango gypsy, right? Right. So yeah, so uh, what happened and what I, you know, show in the film is that um, because of Kaya and Tango, I had opened up to this, you know, amazing new kind of joy and creativity in my life that was completely dormant. And I was working in the corporate world in Boston and finance. And I was just I couldn't reconcile the two worlds, you know, the corporate <laughs> world where I was like dead inside. And, you know, it was almost required that you be somewhat zombie like, you know, in that environment, like aliveness and playfulness were just not welcome. And then, you know, I'd go home and I'd have Kaya and I would dance tango. And I was like, I'm a totally different person. And that, um, <laughs> that, that feeling of being that duplicity and the tension of that was unsustainable. So after about a year, right before I turned 30, um, I made the decision to leave my job and leave Boston. And what I thought was leave finance and my career track and go out and find really my answers to like, why am I on the planet? And what am I here to do? And what are my gifts? And so 
I, you know, quit my job. I put everything into storage. I decided that I was going to travel around and dance tango and that I would put Kaya at my mom's house who, you know, she's got a couple dogs of her own and a really big property. And so Kaya was going to be in really good hands while I took a journey, you know, and, and a literal journey to <laughs> sort of find my place in the world. And tango kind of led the way in terms of figuring out where to go. So I went to tango cities where there was either a festival or a really good tango community, or I knew people. And I, you know, would spend a month in say Portland, Oregon, or six weeks in San Francisco and a month in Montreal. And, and I traveled around as a tango gypsy, exactly. And, you know, and basically went where the invitations took me. Um, and so that, and I would come home, I'd come back to my mom's for like two weeks in between trips and I'd like reconnect with Kaya and I'd repack my bags and then I'd go to the next place and it was very magical and it was very intuitively led. It really felt like the the universe was rolling out the red carpet for me with the amount of um, just kind of assistance that would come to me and people who would, you know, have, you know, a place available to you know, host me or the craziest thing was, was when I was like, I really want to be in San Francisco for six weeks, but that's really too long to crash on someone's couch. So <laughs> I, I kind of need something where like, I can, you know, maybe do some kind of trade or, 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 cause I wasn't staying in hotels. I was on a shoestring. And so I was always going where like people could host me, but for six weeks, that's a little bit too long. So I thought, well, what if somebody had like you know, pets that they needed, to, you know, and they're going on a trip, then I could take care of the pets and stay in their place. Well, I manifested that exact thing where this woman had two dogs. She's a tango dancer who was going to Italy for a month in the exact month that I wanted to be in San Francisco. And so I, you know, met her through a friend and I like had her apartment walked her dogs, had her car. I basically like <laughs> borrowed her life for six weeks. And she lived like on the marina where I would walk and then look at the Golden Gate Bridge every day walking her dogs. It was like so unbelievable. And so that was just, you know, it just kind of felt like, wow, this, this is felt feels divinely led. And just the amount, just the ease with which I was able to move in and out of situations um, you know, I stayed in Paris for a week for free through a friend of a friend and type of thing. And, and then I was in Buenos Aires for eight months in the end, um, which, you know, so the trip became, you know, it was almost a year and a half uh, when it was all said and done. And it was a time of a lot of soul searching and spiritual seeking and, and trying to really find my answers. So that was uh, a chapter in my life that was filled with magic and adventure and just a lot of connection. It was really uh, an amazing experience. Wow, Sarah, thank you for sharing all of that. It's amazing to hear even more about it than I think just from the initial talk I heard you do. The inside of my brain sounds like a popcorn machine right now, like bubbling <laughs> over with questions. Do you mind if we back up a little and I ask you some questions about that journey? Uh, absolutely. So I think one of the first questions that comes to mind, and I think you know that I am a fellow finance refugee. 
Um, oh, I didn't know that. Interesting. I was a CPA for 12 years doing – my start was in trouble debt restructuring and bankruptcy. Huh. Um, which is – such soulful work. Yeah. <laughs> it's such oh a non-hostile God. environment. Um, <laughs> so wow. I guess from that perspective, you know, like we women in finance, especially like uh, like me as a CPA, like the reason we get all of the fancy discounts on insurance and things like that is because we're not risk takers. Right? Like mm-hmm. we're evidence based mm-hmm. people. Like you admitted you're a left brain person as well. I think mm-hmm. in terms of process constantly. Um, yeah. Sometimes to my detriment. <laughs> yeah. Right. So knowing that and knowing there's a lot of women listening that fit that bill and are probably like, how the F do you <laughs> just up and quit your job? Like you've got mm-hmm. the responsible job. Mm-hmm. you've got the big girl success, like you've achieved it, like mm-hmm. you were doing it. But again, you felt like a zombie. Right. What helped you let go? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think that I felt that, you know, I, I, I was very driven in my 20s by success, by money, by status, by material things and title and also by approval, you know, having other people approve of me meant everything. And so I built this great identity around all of that. And um, so I, in being a good, responsible person, I saved my money. And I, you know, I didn't spend more than I needed to spend. So um, I was really good about, you know, saving money for who knows what I didn't even know what even you know buying a house or that kind of thing just felt very far off to me in my 20s so I was just kind of like it just feels like the right thing to do and um so one of the things I didn't mention in that you know the year that I was 29 was very pivotal because I broke up with this guy I adopted Kaya I started dancing tango but there was another thing that happened which was I read a book by Eckhart Tolle called A New Earth. Have you read this book? I have not read that one. I've read some Eckhart Tolle, but not that one. Okay. Okay. So that was my first book of his. And and the reason I read it was because I was homesick one day and on TV, there was an ad that Oprah was doing. And she and Eckhart Tolle did this worldwide online event where over Skype, and at the time, I mean, this was 10 years ago. So this was like, you know, kind of a, a, a uh, progressive thing to, you know, offer an online kind of format where a million people, or no, it must have been more than a million, maybe it was a million people globally. It was Oprah. It had to be like a billion. <laughs> yeah, probably. But it was, a, it, right. But it was, a, it was every Monday night, and basically they would go chapter by chapter of this book, A New Earth. And she interviewed him and would talk to him about the concepts in the chapter. And then people would call in and ask questions and all this stuff. And so I did it, read the book and I went through week by week. And and this was my first, you know, experience of learning about what he calls the ego, which is this false identity that we build up about ourselves to project onto the screen to show the world, this is who I am. And so when he describes the ego, 
I'm like, oh my God, that's, that's totally me. Like I am a walking, talking ego. I am like, there's no, there's no real me in my everyday life. All there is, is this concept that I've constructed about what I want to be and what I want other people to see me as. And so when he talks about the ego, then of course the other, the other end of the pole is the true self and the spirit and that, you know, that as that divine essence, you know, there's it's hard to find the words for it, but yes. you know, that, that deeper inner self. And I realized that I was totally out of touch with that, but Kaya got me in touch with it. And tango got me in touch with my true self, which was very joyful and playful and loving and nurturing and all of the basically opposite things from this ego that I had constructed. So I kind of felt like all of a sudden I realized I was living a lie and I was trying to be someone that I was not. And it was exhausting. I was totally exhausted. I was anxious. I had a lot of social anxiety um, cause I was trying to like run in crowds, like the sort of young professional urban crowd who's sort of the drinking set and the, yeah. you know, the baseball hat wearing guys. Boston is, you know, very got, dude. it's definitely that. Yeah. It's a <laughs> it's lot of very that dude. Sports fans and, you know, like I even tried to take golf lessons cause I'm like, Oh, golf is going to be good for my career. It was totally inauthentic. And I remember having this like internal battle about golf for years <laughs> when I was at PwC. I was like, yeah. I love to walk. It seems like <laughs> I would like it. Like, why do I just want to throw up at the idea of ever doing it? And then some friends, because I grew up in Central Mass and I got my start in Boston, actually, at PwC uh-huh. in Boston. And I remember friends finally like that liked to golf were like, just come hit some balls at the driving range. See if you even like that. And I spent, I don't know, probably about a half an hour or an hour just flinging the balls into the dirt so close to me that like dirt and mud would just like fly up on me and everyone that was on either side of me. And I was just like, yeah, I'm pretty sure someone's going to hit me with a club if I don't just put this down and get out of here. Like I'm going to have to find another way to maneuver that is not golf. (laughs) Yes, exactly. That was the same. And it just it felt so it just I felt like I was trying way too hard to be someone that I was not. And when I got, you know, I read this book, and I realized that, that it was, you know, taking a ton of energy for me to try to maintain this false self. There, There was no path to happiness there. And I could tell I could feel it. I could feel that I wasn't happy. And I was you know, like I said, dead inside at work and, you know, paranoid all the time and dealing with a lot of bullshit. And I was, you know, when I, and when I had kind of awakened to this deeper inner self that was like lovely and wise and sweet. And I, I was like, I need to be more of that person more of the time. And that call that it was like the call of my soul to say, you know, you're okay. You can, you can be yourself. You know, you, who you are is actually beautiful and good enough and you don't have to try to be something else. It was just this great relief. I started getting the best sleep of my life. I used to be a horrible sleeper. I used to take Benadryl every single night to go to sleep. Oh my gosh. That bad of a sleeper. 
Yeah, because I would just have anxiety about work all the time and about, you know, anxiety about, you know, social situations. Does this person like me or not? What did it mean when they said that thing? And did I say something awkward? And I was constantly trying to figure out if I was like operating in a way that worked in this world that I just was a fish out of water. But when I was dancing tango, I felt like these are my people. These people are really, you know, authentic and just felt very, you know, accepting of themselves and of me. Um, and I was like, there's like a whole community of people out there who are embodied, you know, and, um, and soulful. And I was like, I, I just, I have to rescue myself. And, <laughs> and so I felt like actually leaving the corporate world and all of that quote success behind was no, it was not a sacrifice. It was actually like the only possible choice in order to stay alive. Cause I was just, I was, I was, um, I was driving myself into the ground with, you know, more unhealthy habits than, than just the Benadryl to fall asleep. Just, you know, oh, it was what yes. it was, you know, I had the family size box of Tums at my desk at work. I was the Tums dealer at work. People would come to my desk yes. and say, hey, you got some Tums. Like people, everybody had heartburn. That was normal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, like I haven't had heartburn in 10 years. It's like, that's, that's you know, it's Tums and Advil and wine and coffee and Benadryl to fall asleep. And that was my daily, you know, supplements. <laughs> yes. I used to say that, you know? that Tums and antacids were a food group for me. Like, cause I probably <laughs> ate like, you know, pretty much like after every meal, like an hour after every meal, I was eating like a handful, like as if like, you know, some people would go get a handful of M&Ms. Like I was eating <laughs> Tums. Oh my God. So, and yeah. And it sounds like you caught yourself before you totally eroded. I mean, I know, I know that feeling of, I used to think of it like getting suited up for battle. Like I'd put on a suit and be loading my like computer backpack and feeling like I was about to go to a jousting tournament and this was armor, you know, like, like, all right, which bank syndicate am I going to have to fight with today? Which, which member of my team is going to like freak the fuck out and start screaming at everyone? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Just like that kind of nonsense and all of the habits you described, like, for me, it got to a place where I jokingly call it the existential dirty diaper moment, but it was really like that, like stomach erosion and just having my digestive mm-hmm. system fall apart mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. eroded to a place where I just had unremitting IBS, which for mm. me was more on the D side. And I mean, I literally shit my pants on a business trip heading back to New York (laughs) on the flight and like held it up and had to have like, you know, the the flight attendant banging on the door telling me the plane couldn't take off until I took my seat. And I'm just like, this is my life. Like what? This is a wake up call. Yeah. So like I love hearing you got that message in like a bigger, like, yeah, in a bigger yeah. way sooner, <laughs> like that it yeah, didn't have to erode exactly. that bad for you. Well, and I think that, you know, I think that we can endure a lot of self abuse when we're young because yes. our bodies <laughs> are still fortified or resilient enough, really that like you can, you can do a lot of damage and still function. And I was functioning, but at a declining rate and 
you know, just starting to realize that, um, I was not, I was just not healthy in body, mind or spirit. And so, yeah, it was, it did feel like, um, I was headed for a breakdown. You know, I would have, uh, there were maybe two or three situations where I was at work and something really stressful happened. And I suddenly felt my throat close up and I got really hot and itchy. And I like ran to the bathroom and my like my neck was red and my face was starting to turn red and I couldn't, I was starting to have a hard time breathing and it wasn't, I finally kind of did some research and realized I was having a panic attack and that was where I was just like, this is not going in the right direction for me. (laughs) Um, So I'm sorry, but no, no amount of money in the world is going to make this worth it. And eventually sort of the money thing was too like, what's the point? It's so I'm going to make more money and there's going to be to pay the doctors. <laughs> I'm right to pay exactly <laughs> to or pay to the pay doctors for, and the therapists, the doctors, the therapists, the massages, the, you know, whatever kind of recovery. And it, it just, it felt like way too much energy was spent just trying to get to even and that there was no thriving. Um, but that, you know, I, I had to leave in order to, find out how to live a good life where I could have balance, where I could be myself and work and be around other people that valued that um, and do things that actually, that I actually cared about rather than what someone else cared about and paid me to do. And so I, I just had this faith that I would be able to find that kind of life. And that I, I wasn't going to be able to figure it out while I was still working in this corporate environment every day. And so that, that decision was just incredibly clear to me. And I had, you know, like I said, I had been really good with my money. So I saved up enough where I thought, I, you know, and I planned it out. And I said, all right, if I spend a third of my savings on, this tang- on these tango travels for a year, we're, you know, really on a shoestring, but, you know, I'll spend a third of it. Then I'll have a third to sort of build up my life again and ramp that up, whatever that looks like, and to start making money. And then I'll still have a third left at the end of the whole thing to, you know, keep in my savings for whatever. And so that was, you know, my very type A way of justifying (laughs) quitting my career without having any clue what was going to be waiting for me on, you know, the other side of that great journey um, at where, you know, things were going to get so much worse and so much harder than I ever thought they would. So it, it, in many ways, I really am glad that we're not able to tell the future because if I had known when I was 29, what I would go through in my thirties, I would not have left because I would not have thought that I was strong enough or brave enough to endure what I would go through. But of course now I'm glad I did. Because I now I know what I'm made of, you know. We never get the lessons in the easy moments. Like everyone wants this the the wisdom that comes with living life, but it's like the lessons never ever ever arrive, or at least not in my experience and the experience that I get to witness with the women that I work with. The lessons never arrive in easy packages. No, they don't, because we wouldn't learn. Yeah, you like I and I often have felt like. 
wow, life is really driving home this one where I, you know, I had kind of like really suffering. I'm like suffering so deeply that it's like, it's imprinting into my being so that 15 years later, I would not forget this moment, you know? And so I think that sometimes it does have to get bad enough for us to really lay down that lesson and really internalize it and go, okay, this, this, we didn't skim over this one. This is in, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, I think about being locked in that bathroom on a plane and trying mm-hmm. to like salvage my dignity at that point. Yeah. And I, you yeah. know, it literally, that was a moment that I did not discuss like I put it in a lock box like you know like the thing they recover when a plane crashes the black box Mm -hmm. I put it in one of those and it was like living in the bottom of the ocean of my soul for a long time (laughs) where I was like I didn't even want to admit to anyone close to me that that happened Mm -hmm. and it took me like about a decade to reconcile that and kind of say like you know that wasn't the universe's first attempt to get my attention (laughs) but I was being Mm -hmm. a stubborn pain in the ass about hearing the message before that right Right. Yeah. Well, that's the funny thing about having a very determined nature is that, you know, (laughs) that kind of determination takes a lot of force to make you stop and go, okay, wait, there's something I need to know here. For me, I went through hell with money, um, where I had been so good with money and such a good saver. And I had thought I had all the, the, everything worked out so well. And then, you know, when I came back from my tango journey and I came, it was really called back because of Kaya, you know, staying at my mom's and my mom said, you know, something's wrong with Kaya. You got to come back. She's limping. I don't know what's going on. And I came back to figure out what was going on with her and did not know that, you know, that was going to be a long heartbreaking journey into her becoming paralyzed um, and having you know, incredibly complex health issues and taking her to vets, specialists, specialists of specialists, where I I just couldn't not do those things for her because she, you know, she's my baby. And so I saw my bank account draining like faster than I could know what to do. And because I hadn't gotten my new career figured out yet, I wasn't making money yet. And I was spending through the nose on her, on her medical bills. And panicking. And I was in total panic going like, I need to fix her. I need to rebuild my life. I've got all these things in the, in the air. I don't know where I should live. I don't, you know, even know, you know, you know, didn't even know really what I was going to do for making money again. And and so everything was like rock bottom. And I, you know, I did decide to move to the Hudson Valley. And actually, at the time, what I thought my next career was going to be was actually to be a life coach. So that was because I was like, I'm so alive with the questions that I want to be on that journey with other people. And so I, you know, I thought that being a life coach was really going to be my my next career. And, um, and I thought I was also at the same time going to be a yoga teacher. So I was really doing a 180 on the finance thing. And, and then it took me probably six or seven months of trying that to realize like, I, it's going to take me a long time to make any money doing that and to build up a client base in a new 
location, you know, like a whole new region that I just moved to and didn't know anybody. It was like, you know, how, how to build up an income with that was going to be, it, it just was beyond what I could, you know, sustain on my savings, you know, while working as a waitress to bring in some quick cash. And it was just suddenly like, oh my God, okay, wait, I got to make money. How do I do this? I need to, okay, I have a finance degree. How do I use this? And <laughs> so that was kind of where I was like, wait, if I use the finance degree, but I need a lot of flexibility because I'm running her to the vet three times a week. What if I'm like a consultant slash freelance finance person for small companies? And so like I've invented this career that I'm doing now being an outsourced CFO, um, really out of necessity, you know, and, you know, a, little, a lot of innovation comes from desperation. Um, and so, you know, I kind of was rebuilding this career while I was watching my bank account slip out. And when I moved to the Hudson Valley, I rented a room in a woman's farmhouse for $500 a month. I was a waitress at a local cafe. I made five twenty-five an hour. And I, I was at a moment where I was like, and I like had no friends because I just moved here, didn't know a soul. And I was like, what have I done? Like, (laughs) that was my very next question to you. Like, because I hear this, like a lot of the women that I work with are in some sort of transition. And they usually don't reach out to me until the symptoms of the situation have literally manifested as physical situation, like symptoms, Uh and they are like burning out. Yeah, wow. Interesting. So how... How did you keep the faith in that moment? Because I, it's it's fucking hard. <laughs> oh my god, it was so fucking hard. I was so, I was scared, and I felt like I had fucked everything up, and I was lonely. You know, the loneliness was was eating at the inside of my being. You know, um, I was so I was longing for love. I was longing for friendship and partnership and I'm working really hard to find it here. And how did I keep the faith? I think because I had really developed a deep sense of spirituality over the course of that my last year in Boston, when I was reading a new earth and I was really opening up to my, you know, my sort of inner spirit. And then as a tango gypsy, I was just totally like my soul was dancing with me every day. I was extremely spiritual. I was meditating. I was doing yoga. I was, you know, really tapping into this um, sense of being connected to the universe. And so I, I kept that feeling even as I was going through hell with everything kind of going wrong, by the way, also had crazy mysterious health issues at that time, um, which strangely chose to manifest. Like once I was really, really, you know, in this place of trying to be healthy and take care of myself, like those health issues didn't manifest when I was back in Boston, like, you know, working in the corporate world, they actually manifested once I was trying, you know, really trying to clean up my act. And, And the context that I had when I was in this very spiritual time was this is purification. Like this is my soul's way of purging all of the toxicity that I had built up in my system over 10 years. And so I was going, you know, I had all these, you know, health things that I couldn't figure out. And 
So as I was, you know, really in one of my darkest times, I also maintain a very strong sense of um, connection to spirit, connection to the universe, um, and the, the feeling like it's all working out for the best. And it's all not only going to be okay, but it is okay. Because each time I would sort of check in and go, okay, I'm freaking out. My bank account is low. My dog is becoming paralyzed. My health issues are crazy. I have no friends. I'm lonely. I have no love. And I'd go, wait, right now in this exact moment, am I okay? And I'd say, yeah, I'm okay right now. Okay, let's move to the next moment. Just with that. And so Right, like don't think about called? next week. Think about what that, today. Yeah, it called <laughs> for a lot of presence, a lot of being very singularly present. And that is actually a very pure space. So when I could just boil it all down to what's happening right here, right now, in the next moment, I'll figure it out then. And that that total presence was um, what allowed me to get through because I just took one moment at a time. And, uh, and so it did feel, I did somehow feel like I was being supported. Um, I was being divinely supported. And, uh, and whether that's just some kind of mental construct that helped me feel better or whether it's true in reality, I don't think it matters. I was just going to say, it's almost irrelevant, right? It doesn't matter. It's, it's like, Faith is, is, um, if, if you believe then like, and that gets you through, then it's, you know, that sense of God or the universe, like guiding me is just as true as, as anything is. It's, so yeah, I, it's like the um, experience of when people walk on fire. And I remember seeing this mm-hmm. documentary one time where scientists were kind of trying to figure out like, well, what is it that's really happening that people mm-hmm. walk on fire with bare feet and don't get burned? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was watching it and thinking, like, I got to the end, and I'm a science mind. So, like, mm-hmm. those details are, are definitely something that I'm curious at. But I got to the end and thinking, like, well, it's interesting. We have an explanation, but do we give a shit? The person still right. walked on fire. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Does right. it matter? So if, they, if that was a life-changing experience for them because they – did something that they didn't believe was possible. And that gave them some deeper sense of their own, you know, either power or resilience or something. That's all that matters was that they felt something and that they were profoundly changed and that they could take that forward into their lives, you know, and whatever science says about, okay, well, there's a layer of ashes and it's not that hot or whatever, like, you know, yeah, the the temperature dispersion or whatever it is. Yep. It's like that, that's actually, you know, I think there should be room for a little bit of mystery and a little bit of magic, because I think that everything that has a scientific explanation is also magical. Just because it's got a scientific explanation doesn't make it not magical. You look at nature and all of the amazing things happening around us all the time, there's a lot of magic. And I I want to be open to seeing that all the time and uh and you know letting that beauty kind of seep into my soul and infuse me with the same aliveness that is animating the flowers and the fruits and the trees you know there's something more 
than what we can see and observe. And of course, you know, quantum physics and some of the yes. advances in, in science are showing that like, oh, maybe we don't know as much as we thought we did or, you know. So, um, so yeah, I do think that belief is very powerful. And so you are really rooted in this belief. You were really rooted in being present. It sounds like you were you were doing the spiritual work and and holding the space for meditation mm-hmm. and and yoga. Mm-hmm. I mean, the tango, yeah. you were also very much in your body. Yeah. I guess are there other tools like if women are listening like were you journaling were what kinds of questions were you asking yourself mm-hmm. like what did it look like in the nitty gritty day to day? Yeah, I took on the spiritual seeking chapter, like an MBA. <laughs> like an MBA. I totally perfectly said I was doing every tip, trick, thing that, you know, came across my world was like, oh, add that to the list. I mean, you want to talk about morning rituals? I had four <laughs> hours of morning rituals. It was lunchtime before I could start my day. And like, I, you know, and so I didn't say no to anything in that time of just wanting to attune myself to what life wanted from me and how to get on the path. And so, you know, tools, oh my God, I mean, you name it, I feel like I've done it. I've done... Um, what were what were the ones that had the biggest ROI? Okay, so in terms of developing my intuition, and what the life coach said was to get up every morning and to write on a piece of paper a question that's in my mind. And write down the question and then write the answer as it came to me, just stream of consciousness. Don't edit, don't yep, think the hit, too hard. Know-how. But yes, just to be in a dialogue with myself. And then when that, you know, when the writing would stop sort of then, okay, well, what's the next question? And let the questions bubble up. And just to spend 15 minutes every morning doing, I don't know if she called it morning pages or something, but just to do that every morning as a way of getting into dialogue with my wiser self. And so I think that was really profound in getting me to hear my inner voice and to listen more deeply. And uh, so that was a practice. That was a practice for a long time. What else did, I mean, so yoga has just been like water. It's so good for me and it's so survival based that like for me to get, especially, and I think that this might speak to the women that, that, that listen to your podcast is like, we are very much in our heads. We're going (laughs) 90 miles an hour all the time. And we forget to breathe, I think, a lot. And so yoga is about getting everything onto the same page. Your breath, your brain, your body, and having getting everything into the same rhythm for an hour, an hour and a half, and to get into your body. So like, you know, just to tune in to like the position of my hips or whatever is getting me uh, out of my head and to have that body awareness. And, you know, by the way, the body holds all these emotions and intuitions. Yes. Um, Biology and beliefs are not too disparate things. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so to, um, to stretch 
and to create space, you know, yoga's got all this great language around creating space in the body, so good. So yeah, yoga has been, you know, that's been the one thing that hasn't come and gone, like lots of other practices would come and go. Yoga is like, man, this just keeps working, you know? Yes. So, so yeah, yeah, yoga is a big, uh, hugely important practice for me. And then, you know, seated meditation has also been really profound for me. I'm not great at sitting in total silence on a cushion and being able, like, I just get annoyed with myself because my, my mind just keeps like, here, think about this. Here, how about that? It's just like, it's like, this is what I do all the time anyway. I don't need to sit on a cushion and just listen <laughs> to thoughts. So I end up having to use a lot of audio help, you know, with different meditation tracks, whether they're guided meditation or they're things that are like, they get your brain into an alpha state with these various sound tones and things like that. Um, so I need to use like the stereo headphones and have something to attach to, to get myself quiet. But I have found for sure, I'm currently not practicing meditation because I'm, it's just, you know, it's not fitting in to my lifestyle right now. But I, there have been times where I'll, I'll go weeks I'm, or months where I do it every single day. And I honestly feel the benefits and the effects of it. And I, when I'm really in the practice and it's working and I'm like, why would I ever not do this? This is the easiest possible way to keep everything in my life working. And then, you know, sure enough, there'll be times where I get really busy and I'm like, oh, I can't possibly have time for that. It's, you know, it, it's fine too. And, you know, I let myself off the hook uh, when I when I can't get to it. But, um, but I yeah, love that so- you're sharing this too, because I think one of the things that I hear, I'm a big proponent of meditation and I've, I dabbled since college and then, you know, when you were working 20 or 24 hour days, you know, mm-hmm. I, I wasn't going to like be able to meditate hiding under a conference room table at a client, you know, like yeah. I just had to pick my battles. Like I want five hours of sleep if possible. Right. And yeah. so I dabbled over the years, but I am currently like around 350 days in of trying to hold myself to a year. Like wow. just do it every day for a year. And it. my goal is 20 minutes every morning. Some mm-hmm. mornings it's 10. Some days mm-hmm. it's 11.53 p.m. And I'm like going to mm-hmm. do five minutes before I get yeah. in bed. Uh, yeah, It's yeah. messy. And I, I think that's yeah. one of the things that I know from the private conversations I have with my clients. That's something a lot of them struggle with. They have that disconnect like you described between body and mind. And then they know the tools. Like I hear a lot of, I know I should meditate or I should do yoga or I should go for a walk on the regular. But whenever I do, my head kind of explodes and gets noisier. Mm -hmm. And there's that it's a messy process at first, but we have to find our own way of doing it. Like I like the quiet and my head bubbles over and I'm just like, that's an idea. That's an emotion. Mm -hmm. That's a Mm -hmm. thought. That's an emotion. And I just watch. But it sounds like for yeah. you, having the guided audio like really keeps you rooted. And there's it so does. many ways yeah. in. There are. There are. You know, anything can be um, a meditation if you are mindful and, you know, you're, you're present. Um, you know, driving the car can be a meditation. Walking the dog can be a meditation. You can find ways to bring it in because if it becomes just one more thing that you feel guilty about or bad about yourself because you're not doing – 
then that's sabotaging. That's like ruining the whole point of yes. how it's supposed to benefit you. It takes you. the so, joy. The, you know, it's, and sometimes yeah. it's not like joy, like I feel great. Like some days I get off the cushion or get off the floor or whatever and think, wow, that brought up some stuff today. Right. <laughs> or I'll get up and go, well, that was annoying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, like I actually, what, what's funny is when I'm doing it every day, I don't feel better at the end of a meditation session than I did at the beginning. <laughs> but it's more of like, it's training, it's a muscle. It builds up some kind of a state of mind. Like I heard something once where somebody said, meditation changes the climate of the mind. And I love that because that's exactly for me was that it felt like meditation, it made the weather a little sunnier all the time. But it wasn't like I got up from the cushion and now I feel great and I'm going to get on with my day. It's like, it did, I didn't feel any different. It just some, somehow changed the overall climate of my mind. Yes. I'm really starting to talk myself into getting back into this. Because <laughs> <laughs> I really, I'm a big, like, I'm a big um, proponent of it. And yet I have just not made it a priority. And I think that's what, what um, makes us do things or not do things is whether we consider it a priority at that given time, you know? And that it changes. Like that tool might work really well for you for a few months. And then really you may need to sit and write again and journal on questions again. You know, like the way in to that quiet space, you know, whether you come in through the window or the door or the doggy door, like. Yeah, yeah. You just have to get into the quiet space. And it's, and that in and of itself is often really frightening for people especially at first because you're like I'm really seeing myself I can't be with myself it's (laughs) too confronting you know yeah it it is it's true I would say um you know just the the last thing I'll say about the tools that you asked about and the one tool that I've really been doing for years very consistently is before I go to bed I write a paragraph in my gratitude journal it's a small uh commitment but at the end of the day, to just write about the things that I'm grateful for is very profound because I have found that gratitude is true north on my compass. Just to stay grateful gets me through a lot of crap. And, you know, when you ask, like, what got me through some of those really dark days? Gratitude. I somehow was always able to find things to be grateful for no matter how bad it got, no matter how much it seemed like, you know, everything is going wrong. I was able to find some things because you know what the reality is, there are people who have it worse. If you realize and connect with, you know, people in other parts of the world or people who are suffering in various ways, it's not like you're trying to, you know, feel good about yourself for being better than they are, but to really know, like, it actually could be worse. In fact, I heard, I heard an interview with Sheryl Sandberg, who wrote the book about, you know, her husband dying suddenly and she had two kids. And she said that she, as part of the recovery, her friend, who's also a psychologist said, you need to think about how this could be worse. And it it sounds a little counterintuitive because you're kind of like, I'm grieving. Like, let me be (laughs) in my grieving. I've got it bad. (laughs) I've I've got it bad. And you can do that. That's certainly, there's time for that. But there's also a time to say, here are the ways this could be worse. Wow. I'm actually feeling a little bit 
grateful right now. And then that practice actually um, worked for her. So, so yeah, gratitude is, is a central um, guiding light for me. It's really insidious in all the best ways, isn't it? Mm. Like to have that kind of just reflection at the, whether it's at the beginning of a day or an end of a day, but just to be in that place of like, life's not so bad. Like we see the t-shirts, life is good. And it yeah. it's like we put it on a t-shirt, but it's very hard for that to permeate our skin. <laughs> permeate our mind. I know. I mean, we're, we're, we're wired to look for the negative because we, we need to be wary of threats to our existence and our happiness and all of that. So it's, it's like, oh, okay, those things are good. All right. You know, that's, I'm going to push that aside and work on the things that need improvement. You know, speaking as a recovering perfectionist, that addiction to what needs improving (laughs) is so I mean, it's so seductive because there's always something, you know, Um, and so it can rob our joy when we never let ourselves be satisfied. And so I do think that there is a a little bit of a dance in trying to see what is good and satisfying and what you're grateful for, and then also go, okay, what can I work on? Because I do want to keep striving. I don't want to be so satisfied and content that I stay still and I stop creating and I stop, you know, moving forward. So that, that moving forward has to be driven by something. I want to have the ability to hold both things that deep contentment and also the vision for what could be greater and better. And that's how I've been able to keep creating my life and, and um, have my life keep rising. Sarah, what you just described are such different words than I would probably use, but really hits on the core of what what motivated me to start this podcast as mm. a way for women to kind of be able to... I think of this podcast as often a way for women to eavesdrop on the type of conversations that I have with clients a lot of the time, Mm. Mm. but still respect that my clients want to have their privacy and not have everyone know their business. And a lot of times, like the women that come to me don't want other women to know that they have a coach, right? Like they're type A, they're high performers, they're overachievers who don't need help. Their shit's together. But it was really unraveling behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And I think you bring up a really really essential point and a big driver of the show, like I said, this notion of how to balance that striving versus having that just be self-abuse. Yeah, yeah. What helped you hold that contentment and that that ability to want to grow? So the ability to or, or the desire to grow is my default. So that's never been something I've had to try to do. Um, and so my work, and that's different for different people. You know, some yes. people have to really work on motivating themselves. That's not my prop. That's not my work. And this crowd you know, is more like you and I. More, like, my, we have yeah, to keep exactly. it in check. <laughs> exactly. So right. So the ambition is is default, and then the contentment is where my work is. I'm working on that every day. It is a constant 
um, practice. So I'm, I'm definitely, you know, I'm not there and I'll never be there because, you know, once I'm perfected this whole model, I may as well pop off the planet. There's nothing left to do, you know? So this work (laughs) is really like... You'll be the next Buddha. (laughs) It's like, yeah, like, all right, so this is my work. This is part of being human. I've got to figure out how to be satisfied with what is. And so I, uh, you know, my dog is a great teacher because she is very content with what is, and she's got a partial paralysis and she can't walk normally and she's incontinent. And so, you know, she has every reason to feel sorry for herself, to be depressed, to not want to, you know, get up, but she's as happy as a little Buddha herself. And she is so happy to go out on a walk where, you know, I have to help her get going and get her warmed up. And then once she's going, she's, you know, she can kind of chunk along and get, you know, get going and walk through the neighborhood and we go on hikes. And to see her joy at just being able to, you know, sniff a leaf or, you know, hear the chipmunk and show her head perks up and sometimes she'll run after something even though she drags her butt because you know she can't run anymore but that dog is a happy creature despite having a serious disability and so she keeps me in check because she shows me that it's possible to accept constraint and suboptimal scenario and she has also shown me that she doesn't have to go chase the bunnies and the squirrels to be happy. Like what she really wants is to be with me. Her main driver in life is to be near me as much as possible. And so her drive for connection is also a teacher to me. I use connection as another guiding light for myself where I go like, if I feel like I'm, I'm off, I'm out of sorts and I'm stuff's not going well, or I'm not, things aren't working. I'm like, where am I disconnected to reconnect either to myself, to spirit or to my community? There's something that's off. There's one of those types of connections is broken. If I'm really, you know, not in a good place. So, um, so I seek connections. The seek connection is one of my mantras. Um, and in fact, if I ever do talks, the, the line that I'll say is at the end of the talk will be seek connection and your path will lay itself down at your feet. You could walk down the path, but while we're here, we should dance. That is sort of my philosophy. It kind of encapsulates my philosophy um, in a very, you know, kind of succinct way. So yeah, um, that connection helps me find the contentment with what is and let go a little bit of the need for perfection or the next thing or, you know, the um, next level, as I'm always thinking about what's the next level for myself. There's a lot that's already here, you know, And I also have a boyfriend who really is good at, um, he's so opposite from me in so many ways. And and he's very, he kind of calls himself a hedonist sometimes. And so he's, he, he's very content with being laying around and enjoying food and just, you know, he's, he's does not have an agenda for himself. 
Whereas like I, you know, Saturday morning, I've got a to-do list. And so he helps me keep it real, you know? Yep. Like balancing like, okay, we'll get a couple things done. And then we're just going to have brunch and a cocktail and sit outside. Yes. We negotiate. We're, we're both very skilled negotiators. So it's it's quite a sport in the house. (laughs) I know that routine on Saturday mornings, or sometimes for me, it's like Friday afternoons, evenings, like, okay, what's the plan for the weekend? Yeah. Where can we have some downtime? Where can we have some time with friends? Where can we have like time to get shit done? Yep. Yep. Exactly. We got to get it all in. We got to get, you know, social time, productive time, downtime, fun. Like, you know, you got to make sure all the bases are covered. (laughs) Do you have a way of checking in with yourself? Like, you know, it sounds like you've gotten good at like, okay, am I... Am I checking in? Like, am I disconnected from myself? Am I disconnected from my tribe? Am I disconnected in some other way? Mm -hmm. Is that part of your process? Like, is there a certain time during the week that you think about that? Or is it kind of more ad hoc? Like, I'm feeling really off. This Mm -hmm. is my trigger to, to do that work. You know, I think the time that I that I have awareness about myself is most often when I'm talking to a friend because I'm always just so go 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 that the the self-reflection happens when I have a friend who's going how are things going for you? And then I'm like, how are things going for me? <laughs> and like that's kind of the trigger to kind of go, "Wait, let me let me assess. Okay, how am I doing?" And and so that kind of conversation, um, cause I, I have like, I have a couple of really deep friends who are really like, they'll go there wherever I need to go. They'll, they really want to know, like the, how are you is not small talk. Like they really yeah. want to know how I'm doing. And so, um, giving them the truth about how I'm doing, there's, you know, there's no pride, there's no positioning, there's no nothing with them. It's just like, what's the real answer? And that helps me understand, like I was talking to my good friend yesterday and he, he said, well, so it sounds like work is going well and relationship is going well. And he's like, so, you know, and he talks, he talks about different areas of his life as bubbles. He has this like Venn diagram that he'll draw out for himself about the various aspects of his life and, and kind of be looking at, okay, which aspects are suffering which aspects are thriving and kind of going, all right, just know that. And because we, you know, we talked like not every aspect of our lives can be thriving all the time. It's totally unrealistic. And it's, you know, life is more dynamic than that. There are some times where a certain thing is going to come to the forefront and then it'll move into the background and something else will come into the forefront. So he was like, how's your health? Are you, you know, you're maintaining your healthy habits or how's your meditation practice or, you know, how are are you maintaining your friendships? Like he, you know, we kind of go through the big topics and check in and go, you know, how are those things doing? And that helps me kind of get centered and go, all right, you know what? I think I'm, you know, I've been letting this thing slide for too long. I I really got to get some better routine around that now or something. So, and I'm a big, like, I love whiteboarding. So I've got my whiteboards in my office and my colored markers. And that's kind of where sometimes I'll just do my big picture where I'll go, I'll like draw out my bubbles and go like, okay, 
what are each of these things doing right now and what needs attention and stuff like that. So that's kind of one way that I um, just sort of check in. Yeah. Nice. Thank you for sharing that because I think it's so easy in conversations and especially this is like the first time you and I are talking without like a whole audience and crowd and stuff going on around Mm -hmm. us. I think Mm -hmm. it's so easy in these situations, in these conversations, to talk about things in this really nebulous or even ethereal place. Mm -hmm. But like what is, you know, I'm always fascinated and I'm, I'm sort of asking for my own curiosity, but asking on behalf of my clients, asking on behalf of my friends that are expressing pain points to me, family members, you know, what does it look like for real women? And so I deeply appreciate you opening up and sharing, you know, about what your meditation practice looks like, about what tools have kind of helped you get out of this place that you were in Mm. that was just like, I'm waitressing, I'm lonely, I'm exhausted, Mm. my my dog is becoming paralyzed, and my bank Mm -hmm. account is getting precariously low. Mm Mm-hmm. Because you, yeah. you've made it to the other side. And I mean, there's uh-huh. always going to be another hurdle that we have to cross in life, yep. to your point yep. earlier, that not all of these bubbles are going to float magically up into the sunshine. No, no, definitely not. And I'm not delusional enough to think that it's all like, <laughs> it's all like a good, I'm going to coast from here on out. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> nope, I, it's just not my, it's just not my, my karma or something. Like, I just know I'm a worker. And, you know, if I can, I don't know if I even believe this or whatever, but at one point I was like really clear that we have, you know, we reincarnate and before we come into this lifetime, we sign up for certain lessons. And, and I, you know, if I think about it in that way, I kind of go like, I was really trying to be an overachiever in that conversation going like, I want to take on this and this and this, and I don't (laughs) care if it's hard. I want to do the work and I want to get my good gold star for my, you know, <laughs> spiritual lessons and stuff. Cause I'm like, boy, it's just, it's just not been an easy ride for me. And the past, uh, about the past year has been a really lovely run where things have just been working out and coming to me. And I'm like, I don't take a second of it for granted because, you know, this is, this is one year out of nine since I left Boston and the other eight were fucking hard. And so, (laughs) I mean, I had to just, I kind of went through the ringer on every level of my life. And so I, you know, if I earned a little bit of coasting and some, some good luck that I'm experiencing now, I will take it. I will let it in. Um, and I will ride it out for as long as I get to until the next, you know, big challenge comes along. Um, but the good thing about going through all of this hell is that I know that I am resilient and I will get through whatever comes my way. Um, and that is a great thing to know about yourself. And so that's where like the gratitude for even my struggles is like, you know, sometimes you go, well, I have nothing to be grateful for. Well then be grateful for how shitty it is because you're learning what you're made of. You're learning what your resources are. And then you can take now I, I just, I walk with such a different sense of confidence through the world to go, okay, something, you know, those fears that come up about something bad that could happen. It's kind of like, 
yeah, but I'm resourceful. And so I'm much less shakable than I used to be. And I think that's one of the best gifts of aging. Um, I remember, you know, when Oprah turned 40, she was like, I love 40. This is like the best year of my life. I just, I'm, I'm letting go of so much of the bullshit that I used to carry about being a woman and all these insecurities. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to turn 39 in February. And I'm like, yeah, I really do feel like think like life is getting better because I've just, I've got more tools. I've got more confidence, um, fewer insecurities. And, uh, and I know myself better. I know better how to care and, uh, and feed myself and, you know, have good energy. And so like, I don't know, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of cool that, you know, if, uh, that life maybe is getting better and that, you know, the challenges that come, I could take them in stride, maybe. Yes, you certainly have earned, you, you've filled up your basket of tools <laughs> that's yeah. traveling with you. And there is mm-hmm. something kind of neat about crossing the 40 threshold. I did earlier this year, and I think from 39 and a half to 40, I was kind of like, and Craig and I were transitioning and like, where are we moving? Are we moving to the Hudson Valley? Are we moving back to New York? Are we moving to Nashville? Like there was a lot of like, like I think around that period, just over the past year, a lot of questions of my feet don't feel on terra firma right now. Like Mm -hmm. I don't even know which part of the country like my feet are going to step down on. And, you know, a lot Mm -hmm. of it was driven by Craig's job search and, and things like that that were sort of outside of my control. And I think Mm -hmm. there's like this, there was this feeling of like, wow, I didn't think I would be at this place at 40. You know, like, I think like I was on a, a, a track similar to you were like, you know, by, by 40, I'll have a BMW and I'll have a house with two garages. You'd be a partner. (laughs) I'd be a partner somewhere or almost or. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was the tract. And I think there was like this period from 39 and a half to like right like the week I turned 40. That was like, wow, this is so not where I expected to be. I expected Mm -hmm. things to be so much more like nailed down, buttoned up, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And I was like in this weird like transitional state. And then I turned 40 and I was like, you know – this is cool. Like not many people yeah. get to like have an experience like this and sort of reboot from time to time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've got a job that's flexible and all these things. And it's funny, like I just right around that time when I turned 40, I was like, this is going to be the decade where I just start saying fuck it even more. <laughs> and just like – and I mean I'm I'm pretty liberal with that anyways – But, Mm. like, really, like, I just want to, like, embrace that. Like, there's going to be a lot of, like, if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. And Mm -hmm. and otherwise, fuck it. Like, Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What a liberating thing to just be like, you know what? I want to do what I want to do. I'm clear about that. I I just don't really care anymore. You know, what? bad, you know, what bad things could happen, what other people might think. Um, and that frees up a lot of energy to be creative and to do great things. 
Yes. When you're not, like, we only have so much energy and focus and creativity in a day, in an hour. Like, and you have to think, like, how do you want to spend it? It's like a bank account. How do you want to spend it? Do you want to spend it beating yourself up that you're not where you thought you would be at 40 when you were 20? Or do you want to spend it figuring out how you're going to collect 33,000 handwritten task lists from women? Because that's fun and interesting, even though people think Mm -hmm. it's weird. (laughs) you know like you just have to you have to pick and choose your battles Mm -hmm. but I think you raise an interesting point you know you said like you mentioned what other people think and I know in my journey and I know one of the things that I probably spend a third to half the time when I'm working with clients is navigating and negotiating around everybody else's projections and stuff Mm. so I'm sure on your journey Mm. there was a lot of people that had things to say about the decisions you were making and were was your sanity in check and were you okay right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I mean fortunately I've sanitized a lot of my friendships so that I don't have that many people in my life doing anything like that towards me. And I think, you know, probably the one person who would be triggering for me around that would be my mom. And, um, you know, what she thought of my choices really mattered to me. Um, but she did a pretty good job of being supportive. And, you know, every so often there would be the errant comment that would make me go like, Oh God, she thinks I'm a total fuck up. Um, you know, but for the most part, I wasn't really up against a lot of other people's oppressive judgments of me. Mostly I was up against my own oppressive judgments of me. I've always been harder on myself than anyone else could ever think to be. Um, so that I've been my own worst enemy, my own harshest critic from day one. And so that's been, you know, my work is to just figure out how to let myself off the hook, let myself be where I am and let it be enough, whatever it is. And so that's been um, hard. And I, you know, I definitely felt really bad about my life as I climbed through my 30s, not having a relationship and not having kids, which, you know, I always was always a dream of mine. And so you know, in the process of grieving the love and family that I wasn't able to create, I made a film. And that film was an expression of my love and my gifts and my story. And it was a way of creating something when I wasn't able to create what I really wanted to. And so, you know, out of that grieving and that loss, I guess, uh, came something really special. And, and so the film is, um, it's my, I guess it's my baby for lack of having, you know, having had a child. And, uh, and so it's a very poignant time. I mean, I guess I'll get really real. Like I'm about to turn 39 and I do still want to have kids. And so I'm, I'm very much in the questioning and in like, you know, sort of the twilight of my fertility in a relationship that's nine months old. So it's this kind of very fragile time where we're going like, are we going to do this? And, 
still wondering, you know, what's in store for me and what I may still create and if the family may open up to me. Because I, I know that probably a lot of your listeners are mothers and that they're, you know, struggling with all of the challenges of motherhood and, you know, how to be self-expressed while also being a mother, which feels a little bit like slavery at times, I'm sure. And, um, and so I'm very alive now with the questions of, you know, what being a woman is going to mean to me in the next, you know, 10 years and, uh, what I'm going to create. And so it's a very, uh, it's a very kind of interesting time right now. And I, I feel really optimistic. I have a lot of faith that things are going to work out, whatever that looks like. I think mostly because I'm just going to decide that it's working out because I, you know, I get to, I get to choose how to see it yes, um, and how to interpret my own life's events. Uh, and I, I choose to see it as positive because I am uh, relentlessly committed to seeing the good in whatever's happening. Yes. So, and yeah. Sarah, you have no idea how much we're sharing that personal journey. Like I'm in a very parallel situation. Mm. I mean, Craig and I have been married for several years, but you know, it's funny when you use the word slavery around motherhood. <laughs> Freedom and self-reliance and independence has always been very important to me. And I think it's it's interesting to hear as, as someone listening in a situation, like, I think whether you're in a relationship for nine months or six, mm-hmm. you know, or six years, mm-hmm. I'm asking myself those same questions right now and really mm-hmm. putting a lot of faith in the universe where I'm like, I'm in the, the, the twilight of my fertility mm-hmm. and, you know, doing, doing the things that are going to support that, that I have control of, like, don't eat right. like a jerk, take care of yourself, do the things that are going to set mm-hmm. you up for success. Mm-hmm. But I think in my 20s, I would have like project managed it to death. Now <laughs> I'm just sort of like, if mm. this is supposed to happen, like we're going to try. Mm. And if mm. this is supposed to happen, we're, we're going to take it as it comes. And if it's yeah. not, does that is that the only thing that would define my success as a woman? quote unquote, mm-hmm. success mm-hmm. as a woman. Right. Like maybe yeah. I'm not supposed to be a mom. Like, I don't know, mm-hmm. right. but I'll, I'll cross yeah. that bridge in a few more months and I'll, I'll right. see where I'm at and think about it again. So it's, it's such yeah. big and important questions you're asking and ones that deeply, deeply resonate with me on a personal level. So thank you for yeah your full disclosure. Yeah. Letting there be some space around it, you know, wanting something, Letting yourself want it, but also letting yourself have some space around it feels healthy. Yes. You know? Yes. I feel like I'm, I, I don't want to be in agony of like, is this happening or not happening? Or, or right. being the, feeling this like deep attachment to one outcome mm-hmm. or another. Mm-hmm. It's like there's yeah. enough pieces that have to like fall into play, but like yeah, that space is so important or perspective yeah. or distance yeah. from it. I don't. I don't even know the right words necessarily. Yeah, exactly. Just to be able to, it's like I, the way I, I would think of it is like holding my dreams, but holding them a little bit more loosely than I used to. 
not where, crushing them into dust in your fist. Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. And then, and then you can let a little bit of magic, there's space for magic to happen. And, and you're open to beautiful things, regardless of how it actually looks, you know, um, I think there are different ways to feel what you're wanting to feel with creating a family and what I'm wanting to feel with creating a family and that like that feeling of nurturing and loving and growing something is like could happen with children or could happen in some other way. Um, and so, yeah, it's, life is such a mystery. I'm so glad I don't know how this is going to turn out because it is pretty darn exciting to watch things unfold. And it could be beautiful. And it could be beautiful. <laughs> Did you have any idea when you chose that name for your film, the the full gravity of it? I think I did. I think I did. Because when it, when it came to me, I thought, this is it. You know, I, I, when I brainstormed titles with my filmmaker, he threw out a couple and this one just came into my head and he goes, that's it. And I was like, yeah. And, and because I really wanted the film to convey a more universal message than a journey a woman took with her dog. You know, it's a cute, it's very cute and it's very sweet and all those things, but it's also, it, it's sort of profound too. If you let it apply to your own struggle and how you're seeing your own struggle and the title itself could even get you thinking because, you, you know, just hearing the title, it could be beautiful can make you sort of stop and go, well, wow, what could be beautiful? maybe this, this situation right now, you know, and, and so, and the word could implies that it's all about how you choose to see it, you know, and that's, that's, an option. that's very, that's very empowering, you know, and, and that's what I love about that is like, we have the power to see our lives the way we want to see them. And it doesn't, it's not good or bad by any objective standard. It is, whatever you choose to see. And so I keep choosing to see that it's beautiful. And so, so the, the more I look for beauty, the more I see it. And that's what I'm wanting people to resonate with, with the film. Yes. And that's I, the message. Yes. This listeners, I got to see the movie. It's 12 minutes long. You have time mm -hmm. to watch it. <laughs> Sarah has sent me the links. Um, I've definitely shared it on Facebook, and I'll I'll share it again when the episode goes live, too. Great. So people can have a chance to watch it. But it is, even without knowing anything about the, the conversation I am so lucky to have with you today, and hope, hopefully people listening feel lucky to, to have listened to, it was not just a 12-minute film about her, a woman and her dog. <laughs> it is so much more than that. And it was an evening that stuck with me, and I was thinking about it for definitely a few days after. So mm -hmm. mm. Um, I'll make sure that everyone has everything that they need to, to, to get to the film and watch it. I want to be – you're welcome. You're welcome. I'm happy to promote it. It's it's amazing. And we didn't even really touch on your journey of just like 
kind of starting this project from a place of like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I just <laughs> kept asking for help and asking questions. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, it sounds like you broker in a lot of accelerated serendipity a lot of the time, mm. just from this yeah. conversation. So great, great way to say that. Yeah. But I, yeah, I want to be respectful of your time. And I am in complete and awe and gratitude of of everything that you are willing to share today. And oh, I'm I'm so so I feel honored to be able to be part of this kind of rich conversation, and you know that it might touch someone. You know, it's it certainly has been you know very um, enlivening for me. So I hope it's been good for you and for your listeners and whoever might be touched by this in whatever way. Yes, thank you. And I want to ask you one more question. What do you most want La Vital Core Salon listeners to know? Because I know we, we've sort of bounced all over the place mm. with your story and examples and practical stuff. Mm. But if if you had a chance to take the mic and like, this is the most important thing I can leave mm. you with right now, right. what is that? Oh, geez. Uh, no pressure, just, you know, know. Stop something incredibly <laughs> wise and life changing. <laughs> You've already done that. So you can you can lower the bar. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, I would say just given that, you know, it sounds like your listeners are a lot like me, that you're good enough. You know, I think that a lot of our striving and perfectionism comes from a place of feeling like we're not good enough. And not either not good enough for the love that we want or the the prosperity that we want or the friendships or something like there's the, this this kind of um, maybe low self-esteem or some sense of not deserving and that it's just a lie. It's a total lie. We are absolutely worthy um, and good enough for all the things that we want and um that's, that's it. I think just to, uh, know the truth of that way deep down, I think could alleviate a lot of the symptoms. Yes. Right on. Amen. I don't know how to (laughs) give you any higher praise or, or agreement. Sarah, thank you. Really, this was I use the word divine, not just in a, this was a pleasant conversation, but I feel like this was such a serendipitous one. And really, thank you for sharing so much of your hard-won wisdom with everyone listening. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you so much. This has been really fun. This is Kara again, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. All of today's show notes can be found at levitalcoresalon.com. So that's any names we mentioned, any resources we mentioned. They're all right there, so you don't have to worry about scribbling stuff down. It's already typed out and easily clickable for you. If you dug today's show or even a past show, Please support La Vital Course Salon. One of the best ways you can do that is by going to iTunes and rating and leaving a short review. It literally takes a couple of minutes, but it will help 
other people find this show. And new shows will be up on the second and fourth Wednesdays of each month. So if you're wondering what that timing is, that's what it looks like. And before I bounce, I want to give a big merci beaucoup to my producer Craig Snyder and to Rishi Deer of Elephant Stone for writing and the High Dials for performing my most excellent theme song and all the music you hear. And don't forget, you deserve a life spiked with passion and slathered with joy. Don't let burnout or bullshit slow you down. See you next time. Bye.